Thank you everyone for tuning in to this conversation. My name is Yapsara Tab. I am a senior design for social impact major here at IWU. And I started facilitating these conversations last semester as part of my senior thesis research, exploring the well-being of black women in America, more specifically in predominantly white institutions. And I had the privilege of holding incredible conversations with faculty, student, and staff here at IWU. This conversation is with my friend Rachel Beard. Rachel and I met uh, sophomore year when we both worked as intercultural ambassadors. Rachel is a senior this year and she's majoring in TESOL education. Rachel is one of those friends which you can have such incredible conversations with. You can talk for hours and I have had such a privilege getting to know her and being her friends for the past four years here at IWU and I treasure our friendship so much. Rachel has held uh, different leadership positions here on campus that are designed to facilitate harder, more tougher conversations that are so beneficial and so critical. And her presence here at IWU has been so impactful, and I'm so grateful for that. And Rachel and I will just be talking about our experiences here at IWU and more specifically, her role as um, and all of the leadership positions that she held, she holds, and also uh, her experience as a TESOL education major. And we will talk a little bit about representation and the importance of that. So thank you so much, Rachel, for um, holding this space with me. So without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, so my name is Rachel Baird. I am a TESOL education major. Um, and for those of you who don't know, TESOL stands for Teaching English to Speakers of Other Languages. Um, I'm a student here at Indiana Wesleyan University. And yeah, I'm also, for those wondering how I got into like language teaching, um, I'm also half Filipino. So that part of my identity also is one of the main reasons I am kind of where I am mm-hmm. in terms of studying. Yeah, that's really cool. Tell me a little bit about like your upbringing uh, and how that influenced influenced your decision to do like TESOL and yeah. So I like language has always just been very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I grew up learning and speaking Spanish. I grew up around a lot of different um, Tagalog, which is a Filipino language, and other Filipino dialects. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's always just been a part of my life. However, I never actually truly learned Tagalog due to, like, discrimination in itself. Um, Mm -hmm. My brother has a learning disability, and basically the intervention specialist Mm -hmm. was like, you guys, to my parents, was like, you guys need to not teach um, them a second language because it's just going to quote-unquote hinder Ooh. our um, education. So basically, my whole point for doing what I'm doing is so that other kids don't have to go mm. through that yeah. um, and to also validate um, home languages and home cultures mm-hmm. and then on the global sense especially if I decide to go overseas and go abroad um, 
English is the language of globalization, but English has also been used for very colonial and mm-hmm. imperial yeah. things. And, you know, I just want to teach English as a means of access um, mm-hmm. while acknowledging, like, yes, it is actually really imperialistic at the fact that you need English really to make yeah. it big in the world. Mm-hmm. However, if I can educate people and give them, help them open more doors Mm-hmm. Um, just by teaching them English, then I feel like yeah, I'm at least doing one yeah. small thing. So that's so cool. I love yeah. that. How do you think you being in this space right now, like the places that you or the spaces that you inhabit as being like a black woman and a Filipino woman, has influenced your time here at IWU? Like, how has it been challenging, or how has it been like rewarding in a lot of sense? Kind of reflecting back on your experience. It's been both challenging and rewarding. Um, Challenging in the sense that, like, I feel that the path that I'm going on sometimes isn't necessarily, like, it's not like a paved road, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was really actually struggling with that, especially this year how sometimes the journey can be so lonely. I think women of color in general feel this, like Mm -hmm. that you're almost on your own um, and you're paving this path so that the people behind you can have a better experience. Mm -hmm. But then what's really helped me, someone told me, well, think about, it doesn't even have to be necessarily people you know specifically, but just even Mm -hmm. think about the people in your life. Well, in your life and then like even famous people, famous voices, like, Mm -hmm. you know, are like people like Toni Morrison or um you know Angela Davis or different things like women of color specifically black women I guess in this context that have paved the path so that I can walk Mm. a more smooth road than them even though mine by no means is smooth Mm. um so a lot of times at this school, I'm definitely tokenized, mm-hmm. and I think I'm one of the poster faces of diversity at this school, yeah. which in some ways has like been good because mm-hmm. it's given me opportunities to speak with administrators. Yeah. It's given me opportunities to have a voice mm-hmm. and to speak on behalf of or speak for students but at the same time it's problematic because blackness and I think anyone's experience in general is not monolithic Mm, and I think being at a PWI a lot of times they think that especially with like students of color BIPOC students that like it's a fairly monolithic experience and it's not like it really isn't Mm. (laughs) um but also it's been rewarding because the things I have been involved in Mm -hmm people coming later can be inspired by that um and I just want them to know that like yeah I put up a fight (laughs) while I was here you're not alone yeah so yeah yeah Yeah. and like if I could do it they can do it and Mm -hmm. then some yeah have you find found in your field of study black and people of color to look up to like in the things that you've studied so far act well in the curriculum in itself like like IWU's basic curriculum mm-hmm. or for TESOL? Either, both. <laughs> IWU's curriculum. Honestly, I don't think for either I really yeah. have 
seen much representation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think back to my gen ed classes or even the different. I don't think specifically. Yeah. Hmm. Not Black American at least, yeah. or even Filipino American. Yeah. Either. Um, and then interestingly enough, for TESOL, my capstone is actually about the Black TESOL experience. Mm-hmm. And um, in my research right now, what I'm finding is most Black teachers talk about how there's a lack of representation of mm-hmm. like Black teachers in my field. Yeah. So, yeah, there really aren't that many. Yeah. I asked that because, I mean, you and I had this conversation before about mm-hmm the importance of having people that look like you in the field that you're studying and how that really helps you like push through because you're seeing them and you're being inspired by them. But when you go to a predominantly white institution, they don't provide you with that information or they know like authors like Toni Morrison Uh or Nikki Giovanni, all these Mm -hmm. people, we seek out ourselves as students. Exactly. Which like adds more work for us Mm -hmm. instead of like that being provided for us so I think that's interesting that like it makes it definitely challenging like a lot more challenging than just and when you think about your childhood even like white students grow up looking at movies or watching movies and books Mm -hmm. with characters that look like them so I think that really affects your I don't know your psyche and like how can I make it yeah Um, definitely. I know, I now know, like, because we have a BSU now, Mm -hmm. which I want to say was not, that literally was not possible four years ago. Like, our freshman year, that literally was not, like, explicitly, like, this is not allowed. Um, so I'm glad. But, and I've been able to meet with, like, black professors and things like that, but we're not all in the same, Mm -hmm. like, discipline, which yeah. is why it's so important for, or it's been important for myself and for other people who have worked with me to kind of make spaces mm-hmm. for that. Um, that's why, like, we started with my organization. We started Connection Nights yeah. to connect faculty with students across, like, disciplines. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly enough, like, you know, to land enough in the, I don't have to drop name. <laughs> Um, I guess. I'm not sure. I don't know where this is going to be. Well, okay. Well, we might need to cut that. (laughs) Uh, One of the, one, there is a black prof in the School of Teacher Education. Um, She's one of my advisors and she regularly meets with um, another professor who's also black in the um, Modern Language and Literature Division. And she was telling me when we met that like, Sometimes people are like, why are you meeting with so-and-so? Mm-hmm. Like, you guys aren't in the same field. Like, okay. So? Like, can I, <laughs> yeah. can I like, meet with other black people? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that's just a really interesting thing of, like, we will find each other. Like, black yeah, people will we'll find each other. each other. Yeah. And even though, like, for BSU, it really took four years for – I was having a conversation with someone about that this morning – um, how it really took four years for our class to kind of like unite our black community. Mm-hmm. But now that it started, all of us are like, wow, like this is nice. Like we it's need really to, amazing. yeah, we need yeah. to like keep this energy. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Have you, so kind of like switching this conversation mm-hmm. up a little bit, how have you, actually, maybe not, <laughs> how have you found, found like belonging at IWU? 
Like, has that been hard? Like, reflecting back to your freshman year, like, has that been challenging or has that been, like, fairly easy? I think finding belonging for any black person or even person of color in general, Mm -hmm. even though this isn't a monolithic experience, I would say in general from the people that I've met and come across, including myself, has not been easy at Iowa. Mm -hmm. Um, At the protest... Last week when I spoke, I was like, raise your hand if you wanted to, specifically for black students, if you wanted to transfer Iowa at least once. And literally every black black person Mm -hmm. raised their hand. And some people, I even continued, I was like, to where you literally applied to other schools and got accepted to other schools. And then like, you know, by the grace of God himself, you're still here. Like Mm -hmm. there, there are still a good amount of hands up. Um... I genuinely, there's times I still don't even know why I'm like, Lord, why, why am I, why am I still here? Mm-hmm. Like, that's not, this is weird. I shouldn't yeah. have been here still. But I think I found belonging, honestly, through working with now what is called the Intercultural and Global Office. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's how we met. Yeah. <laughs> really met, but um, mm-hmm. I think I needed that that year to be on a team of people who were kind of committed to like working within diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Um, But even then that was more on a global scale, not necessarily on the domestic scale. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I found belonging because like most of my friends are like international students and Mm -hmm. different things like that. But when it comes to like black friends and Mm -hmm. more on the domestically diverse side, right there really isn't much opportunity mm-hmm. for that, which is why I think a lot of us in our senior year are really pushing for that because it's so important, um, you know, bridging those gaps between mm-hmm. students who are, you know, BIPOC students that are from, like, born and raised here, mm-hmm. but even also bridging the gap between the international students and domestically right. diverse students. Like, that's something that's really important, and that's mm-hmm. ways that we find belonging, and there really hasn't been much opportunity for mm-hmm. that in the past four years. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how you and I met through the intercultural intro- office. And I think it's especially in the events that took place in the past couple of weeks with the verdict on Brianna Taylor, things things have been way more difficult than they ever were. Like, not that, like, this summer wasn't hard. This summer was very tough. But existing in this space at that time and seeing how our white peers interacted with that verdict and then how we took that, I think that was, like, the most challenging part of, like, the past couple of weeks. How how has that been like for you, like hearing news, things like that, and then being in these spaces? Yeah, it's been actually very challenging, and I think I think I'm going to speak straight from my heart. Yes, go for when it. When <laughs> it comes to this, so a little unfiltered. I mean, obviously, I'll watch my language, but I will very much call things out. Of you know, even when the school year started alone, mm-hmm. um, I'm from Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, Jacob Black was shot seven times, mm-hmm. close range, in the back, with his three children in the car. And in the School of Teacher Education, we didn't talk about it. 
We mm-hmm. never talk about it. We never yeah. talk about anything that's going on. Yet we're supposed to be culturally responsive. Yet we're supposed to be, you know, caring about our BIPOC students and our LGBT students on that. Mm-hmm. But when issues come up, we don't talk about it. And, you know, a no one. Literally, when the verdict came out, I was sitting in class. And no, like, literally no one even mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Not even in passing, and then the professors mentioned it. It's just like, you're almost invisible mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. And <clears throat> it's really frustrating. Yeah. And when we decided that we were going to protest um, and, like, you know, bring awareness to all these issues, mm-hmm. I had to skip class. And, like, that's a big deal for me. I'm a perfectionist. I, like, the concept of skipping class really is almost, like, puts me in this, like, existential crisis mode of, like, why am I doing this? <laughs> Um, but I was like, I cannot sit in a class that refuses to even acknowledge what happened this summer. Yeah. Um, while people are protesting right outside, like I literally refuse to do that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't go to class, which is fine. Yeah. But since then I finding myself getting more angry and angry. Mm-hmm. Like I told someone today, and this is really just how I'm feeling right now, and hopefully this emotion is temporary, but like if it was not for the fact that, you know, I'm basically on my last lap at this school mm-hmm. um, and that I am student teaching next semester. Like, if I was a junior, I probably would drop out of the school of teacher. Yeah. Like, I'm like, honestly, that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You cannot tell us that we have to be, you know, culturally responsive and basically be like, oh, you need to be pro-black, but then not show up to these things, not yeah. talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Like, very much at the point where I think I'm even going to start having conversations with people in there and being like, I'm not even joking when I say, like, the amount of respect that I've lost for this department. Yeah. And, like, you claim to care for your students, but Mm. clearly you don't. Yeah. Um, And I'm sure there are different things. Like, I know what I just said is a bold statement, and I'm sure there's things that, like, people will be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. But I'm like, yeah, but at the end of the day, where were you? Where were you? Yeah. At the end of the day, you didn't even bring this up. White people here, it's like... The conversation, if they have it, they would have it, and it would just be another another hashtag, another mm-hmm. headline. But when it's not talked about in the classroom, that's when it's like, how do we claim to be a Christian institution? Right. Even have, like, unapologetically Christian. Right. And then neglect to talk about such a hurtful thing right. that our brothers and sisters are going through. And, like, right. I don't know. I think, like, another thing, like, I've talked to you about this a little bit, like, how... It feels like we're living in these two worlds. Mm-hmm. We discussed that at our faith integration group yeah. last week. Like the double consciousness. Double consciousness. Yeah. Like we we and our minds and our souls were carrying so much trauma, so much grief, but then we're expected to fully show up in our classrooms. Yeah. And then our environment is not showing up for us. Mm-hmm. Our environment is not talking mm-hmm. about it. So it's very exhausting to be a black person. And a predominantly white institution. Oh, yeah. Especially, so exhausting. Especially, too. Like, there's that aspect of it. But then there's when your people, your quote-unquote people, don't even show up for you. And this yeah. isn't even just for white students. This is for non-black students as well. Yeah. Um, I really struggled during our silent protest when there were people who are very close to me who genuinely just walked by for a variety of reasons. And, like, yeah, we ended up talking about it after. But I was, like, you know... Mm-hmm. That right there just 
that shows. Yeah. And, you know, even some people, I was like, hey, like, these are happening. Like, I hope to see you there. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, well, I have class. Okay, well, I have class, too. Yeah. Attendance isn't so mandatory important. this semester yeah. either. So, like, that's not even an excuse. Attendance isn't mandatory this semester. This is important to me. Yeah. And... Like, obviously, like, if you have a test or something, go. Go take your test. I'm not asking you to do a test or something. But I don't know. It's very hurtful and very frustrating when people don't. When, Like you said, when we're expected to show up fully Uh and operate as if we're fine, but people don't show up for us. That's when it becomes, it hurts and it becomes very lonely. Yeah. It's so isolating. And you feel like, I mean, I remember going to my world's, not the world lit, I get this confused, mm-hmm. going to that class, like, the day after mm-hmm. that happened, and, like, I can literally, like, I would not hear anything the professor was saying. Oh, yeah. And then the thing, like, the reality of being a black student in these institutions is that, is that like, while other stu- non-black students are, um, they're just, they can fully concentrate on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But we're wrestling with so many things, not just news, but also like microaggressions mm-hmm. and a whole bunch. Like we're just carrying this weight. And I feel like if the school and the classrooms and friends are not being true allies, we're going to keep feeling isolated. And, right. and, and that's why like this podcast is so important to me because like I don't want another black freshman to experience this. Right. Like, and with that, like, kind of, like, a segue, like, what would you say to your, like, freshman self if you were to speak to her now? Like, freshman Rachel, what would you want her to know? Um, probably that it's okay to be angry. Mm-hmm. Like, your anger is, like, justified. It's valid, yeah. And it's valid. And all your emotions are completely valid. Um, and to literally unapologetically speak up. Yeah. Um... Don't be, don't stand to be the token or the person, the poster girl mm. for the school because, yeah. like, that's something I've kind of had. And, like I said, it's been beneficial. I don't regret it because mm-hmm. it has helped me build my repertoire <laughs> and it has, you know, given me opportunities to enter into certain conversations. But I think this year, and I was talking with um, Risa about this earlier. This year, I think our class as a whole has kind of just been like, I'm so tired. I don't yeah. care anymore. Yeah. Like, I literally this is don't not a care. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'm at this point where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to unapologetically speak up. But it's because I am so beyond done mm-hmm. with such, like, honestly, I'll say it, this institution is so corrupt. Yeah. So corrupt. And they claim to care about black people. They came to care about, you know, other minorities, they claim to care about LGBT. They don't. They don't. They truly, when push comes to shove, they don't. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are individuals who do, but as an institution, they don't. Yeah. So, like, uh, yeah, I would say to, like, raise your voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might feel lonely, but, like, that's why we, your older self, but also older students, like, literally work so hard where it basically feels like we're working our own full-time jobs mm-hmm. um, while being full-time students, but to make sure that, like, you won't have it yeah. as bad mm-hmm. as we did. And I'm sure we didn't even have it as bad as, like, you know, people in the past did. Uh, absolutely. I mean, there is a time where people went to this school and 
the school literally was like, you cannot date someone of a different race. Yeah. 1986. That was not that long ago. 1986 was um, the last time that was in the handbook. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think we are we are making progress. Like even though it's exhausting and it's tiring to be mm-hmm. black in these spaces, but it's also so worth it. Oh yeah. Like it's so worth the fight, it's so worth being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And you know, like a lot of people when like my white friends would say like, Oh, like you talk about this too much. Mm-hmm. Either like literally or just like in the way mm-hmm. they act. But I'm like Try being black for one day. Right. Like, you, I'm right. never going to talk about this too much. As long as, like, you engage with it. Like, I mean, like, I think the problem is, like, people are so scared of having these uncomfortable conversations, especially at IWU. Oh, yeah. But black students are the ones that are in these spaces all the time, figuring this out, confronting this, being uncomfortable constantly. Oh, yeah. So... Yes, I need to be uncomfortable. Well, yeah. And More than uncomfortable. And we... I tell people this all the time. Like, yes. And I think in the past, I used to be like, I'm sorry that I talk about race so much. But don't even no, apologize. Do not apologize not for talking sorry. about race. Because at the end of the day, my entire life, my existence has been wrapped around the fact that my skin is colored. Yeah. My race has always mattered in every situation. I don't care what people tell me. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, too, to the white listener, <laughs> yes, you might not, like, experience what we're experiencing, but you cannot, one, invalidate our own experiences because you've mm-hmm. never experienced it themselves, like, yourself. Mm-hmm. But as much as you don't want to believe that, like, race is intertwined in literally everything, everything. like, it is. Like, everything. it literally is. I don't even know how to put it it is like when I want to apply for a job that's something I have to think about Mm -hmm. if I want to date someone who like seriously even as a woman of color even if it's another to a man of color you have to think about like well does he is he into black women is he his family right yeah right especially when it comes specifically to white guys yeah or whatever you know whatever you identify as like if your significant other if your partner you know is white or is you know a person of color that's non-black or even if they are black there is this stigma against women of color like race literally matters when it comes to little things like that when I'm in the classroom will people think that I have a different accent and Mm -hmm. tell themselves that they can't understand me because actually that's a phenomenon that there's been studies, it's called accent hallucination, mm-hmm. where you almost trick yourself that you can't yeah. understand them based off what they look like. Will I not get as much respect because of the way that I look? Mm-hmm. Because that's a thing. That's something I see here with certain professors, yeah. specifically with women of color at IWU mm-hmm. that are professors. There's a stark difference between yeah. the way that they're treated in the classroom versus their white counterparts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So race truly does matter everything yes that's why when it comes to like curriculums and higher education that race should be talked about in every department right because when you have when you have white professors you're teaching white students about these things they go out and they're gonna take that right right like even thinking about like the medical field oh yeah like how black bodies like their pain is not 
right. you know, treated as like significant, like, oh, you don't feel pain. All it goes way like, oh, I mean, yeah. we can unpack that forever. But like athletics, art, literature, like it has to has to be talked about in everything. And yeah, like as black women, when we enter into any space, these are the things that go in the back of our minds. Mm-hmm. Like, would this person think like I don't understand them. There are people that said to me, like before they even talked to me, they would start speaking slower at me. Oh yeah. As if like I'm not going to understand them. Like I haven't even spoken a word yep. yet. And people would be like, Where are you from? And I'm like, like I'm from Greenfield. Right. Indianapolis. Right. <laughs> but like people have made their minds up before you even say exactly. a word. And then it kind of just leaves you it's a very uncomfortable situation. Yeah. For you. And then the thing is, when it comes to that specifically, too, is like the linguist in me talking. Yeah. <laughs> but it's called accommodation theory, which is like a, a normal thing, especially when you're working with someone who's like English isn't or whatever language you're speaking isn't their first language because you mm-hmm. want to accommodate to them. We do yeah. it subconsciously. Americans tend to be like literally the worst at it because they do it on it like so their intention with it usually tends to be like oh i'm trying to accommodate you and like you know speak slower to help you but it's like you're overcompensating overcompensating and you're actually just being like a bigot yeah so yeah and like you were thinking that like because english is like your default that then that's like everything else that's not english or if you have any accent whatsoever, then you're you're not as right. smart, you're not as intelligent. Right. And I'm like, y'all realize like when someone has an accent, first of all, that like insinuates that they speak another language, which means especially if English isn't their first language, they literally know like double the words that you do. Yeah. Oh. Double. Double. We can speak two different, three different languages and still their brain, the bilingual brain functions on such a higher level. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. well, not necessarily higher level, like, in general, but, like, when yeah, yeah. Things. yeah, for sure, yeah. And, like, yeah, also, like, when you're thinking, like, you mentioned earlier, like, about jobs and things like that, these are the things we have to think about. Like, well, I was talking to Carissa the other day, my friend Carissa, she was another one. <laughs> uh, we were talking about, like, how names, like, the significance of names, oh, and, yeah. like, if I were to apply for a job, in the back of my mind, it's like, are they going to even call me for an interview because mm-hmm. like people can't even pronounce my name to like get me my coffee at Starbucks right. or a coffee shop so like these are the minor like they're not minor they're actually huge things right. that we think about constantly mm-hmm. so I'm like well if the school is uncomfortable with this major conversation we need to talk about yeah. let's not even go into and unpack these things you know yeah and then even with some things of like more what would be considered like black american names mm-hmm. and there's these stigmas yeah of like this is like this name is quote-unquote ghetto mm. this name is you know yeah. this or this name is that like you know just because someone's name is like t havis or someone's name is like daquan Mm. or something yeah and there's this stigma that like you know we'll use Daquan for example if someone's name is Daquan that doesn't mean Daquan might have like a PhD mm-hmm. and it might be like a world scholar but like on the outside just because of his name is literally Daquan like people make judgments based yeah. off of that that he's Consumption. not as smart that he's yeah. not as like you know whatever mm-hmm. fill in the blank and you know our like I said our entire existence down to our names revolves around the fact that we our skin is black and Mm -hmm. like that has indications and that 
indicates something lesser, that indicates mm-hmm. something that can be seen as problematic. Yeah, and it seems like it's it's tiring to have to like prove your credentials all the time. Oh yeah. Like I could have, you know, like he said, I could have a PhD and like people would be like, do you know what you're doing constantly Mm -hmm. at you? I'm like, well, I'm actually educated. I actually know what I'm doing. Right. But like instead of performing at your job or at your field, you're like telling people that you're qualified. Right. Which is like, that's an added stress that you don't need. Like you need to just be doing your job. Right. And then being on top of that too. I think BIPOC people have to experience that and then women even more so mm-hmm. um, because we're women yeah for those of you who don't know BIPOC what BIPOC oh, means the black indigenous yeah. people of yes. color just to say just to yes, make yes, sure that yes. people know um, yeah I think more than ev- like more than ever before right now is it's very critical that black women specifically have a voice and a place to just express their anger and frustration and like own it because the world hasn't been giving us that black women deserve better amen so i we already kind of touched on this but like how do you think or like do you think there are spaces like provided for black women to express that and if not like how do you think that we can help influence that it's a loaded question. On Iowa's, question? <laughs> on Iowa's campus? Yeah. Well, <laughs> in the past, no. no. By yes. all means, no. Zero. <laughs> like, literally zero. There's, yeah. there's a group chat together now for, mm-hmm. like, you know, Iowa Black Girl Magic, which is nice, and I'm glad that that's happening. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, black women are not supported at mm-hmm. all. I mean, even – we talked about this, like, in BSU, but even just with the case of Breonna Taylor, like, literally – that just shows like where black women stand in America. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's more. There's Brianna Taylor, there's Sandra Bland, there's like there's so goes on. So many endless stories of black women who did not get any justice, who deserved justice, mm-hmm. who are literally no longer here with us on earth because yeah. of things like that, because the system failed them. Mm-hmm. Um however, when it comes to I guess here Dr. Farmer talked about how, um, you know, we have to almost, like, you have to put everything you're holding in, like, another chest. Like, that's Mm -hmm. why we have to, you know, communicate and, like, we have to be in fellowship with one another. Mm -hmm. But when there's no, no one is, like, actively connecting people, Mm -hmm. then you're just by yourself and you're holding that. And that's unhealthy. I mean, I... In my research that I was doing, I was just reading through abstracts, mm-hmm. and I stumbled upon one, and I don't remember exactly what it was called, but basically it talked about how there's this this construct of the um, strong black woman, mm-hmm. and oh, how that quite that. literally affects black women's health mm-hmm. in terms of obesity and depression. Like, yeah. it's a medical mm-hmm. one, and, you know, I don't necessarily understand all of the terms that they use, but mm-hmm. in the abstract, it was basically just, like, there is this um, stigma of, like, black women are seen as strong. And don't get me wrong. We are we strong. We are We are strong. so strong. We are so resilient. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's, like, at what cost? Yeah. To the point that, you know... Like, I feel it right now. If I'm being honest, I'm really close to burnout at this point. And I'm making things happen. I'm going to continue to make things happen. Mm -hmm. Even when I'm beyond my limit. But, like, to my mental health, to my, like, physiological health. Physical health. (laughs) Physical health. Yeah. 
um, to, you know, my emotional health. Mm-hmm. It, that's it's detrimental. It is, yeah. It is really like it's detrimental, and a black women consistently have to do this because we're expected to be strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, to my black women out there, you are strong. You literally are already strong. Mm-hmm. You don't have to stay strong for everyone else because sometimes being strong means breaking down and being vulnerable yeah. enough to yes. let it all out because that's strength in itself. Because yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It is such like a construct, like a systemic construct that like that tells black women that they are strong. Yes, we are strong, but at the same time, that framework is not giving us room to break. It's not giving right. us room to be vulnerable, to cry. Yes. And like then when this is expected from you at all times, of course you want to live up to that. Yeah. But then that means you're carrying all of this burden and never breathing, like oh, yeah. re- releasing that. Oh yeah, which is such a problematic thing because, like, our physical, emotional, mental health matters. Mm-hmm. Like that is so critical. So we need to just shatter this strong black women narrative, like right. to the ground. Like we are right. strong. Like it's not that we're not strong. We're one of the strongest people out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but is that that ex- that shouldn't be expected from us. Yes, and yeah, cuz most times systems and institutions will be like, "Oh my gosh, you guys are so strong. Thumbs up." And that's mm-hmm. it. And it's like, "Oh, good job. Like you're being so strong." But honestly, like the world would not revolve without black women. Uh, like yes. we have done so much and we have gotten things done through so many seasons and you know, mm-hmm. If, like, to the listeners, I challenge you to really think about, like, the black women in your life and, like, the sacrifices that they made, like, even for you. And then even more so, like, if you if you don't have black women in your life, like, even historically. Yeah, that's so like, important. Black women, even just think of, like, the civil rights movement in America. And that can be internationally either. But, like, women also, like, played such a big role in this. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing, but, like, at what cost? We see them, oh, you're such a strong woman, but how are they feeling at the end of the day? Yeah. You know, and who was there for them? That's why we have to be there for each other. Yeah. And then that's we need so to weird. create space to make sure that, like, our black women are being taken care of, but also our black men, too, because yeah. black men, that's that's another conversation in itself. Yeah, that's another, whole another <laughs> That podcast. is another conversation <laughs> in itself. Yeah, yeah, I think, like, it's so critical to just make it personal to you like if you have a black friend i'm speaking you know again to like the white listeners like if you have black friends check on them and see how they're doing and not just like oftentimes i think i've talked about this before too like we ask like how are you and we get a response that we want yeah and then i'm okay i'm fine and then we just go on about our day clearly like we're not okay we're not fine but the reason we don't express that is because we know there's no room for us to just let go. So I think it's so critical to give black women space to do that. Yeah, and I think when you ask those questions to maybe look into different ways, like I've seen it on my like Instagram feed and stuff, and I can't even na- name it at the top of my head, but like different ways of where it's like, how to ask like, how are you without explicitly saying how are you? Because mm-hmm. even as a language educator, 
that's been around the world to teach English. Like I can say it is such a textbook answer because we do this, especially in America as well. But you ask, oh, how are you doing? You're not actually asking how you're doing. You're like, oh, hi, how are you? And you're like, good, how are you? Good. It's in passing. Mm -hmm. It's force of habit for us to just be like, good. Good, Like, and you literally, you say that as you're walking past someone. Um, But I really would challenge, and, you know, Yab said to the white listener, but also to, like, honestly, to the non-black listener, Mm -hmm. um, when you're asking how you're doing, like, really, either, like, fully commit to it and be like, how are you actually doing? And it's okay if you're like, I'm not sure if this is the space, but, like, can I ask you how you're doing? Mm -hmm. This summer with George Floyd and everything happening, no one, no one, not none of my people asked me how I was doing with everything. The one person who asked me was someone who I had theology class with mm-hmm. that like, you know, like you guys aren't like friends, but you're like acquaintances because mm-hmm. like you like sat next to each other in class. Yeah. It was that person. I hadn't talked yeah. to that person since school shut down and they literally messaged me. And they're like, I don't know if this is appropriate for me to ask, but like, are you are you doing okay with like uh, everything? That means a lot. And I was like, I almost wanted to cry because I was like, you literally are the only person who has reached out to me, mm-hmm. and like, I'm not really doing well. And even at that point, I was kind of like, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but that was like my own personal thing. But even just being like, thank you so much for like, kind of giving me space because mm-hmm. after I kind of said that, and I was like, yeah, I'm not really doing well, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. They were like, well. If you ever like want to vent, like I'm here to listen. Wow. And oh my goodness. That means like so much. And the fact, I think, yes, it was a nice moment, but the fact that you was someone who I'm not even close to uh. not only made it such like a pure and wholesome moment for like me and them, uh-huh. but it also made me really sad that like the people close to, close to me uh-huh. didn't even yeah. ask. So yeah, I feel I feel the same way. And also, like, going back on, like, the social media kind of got me thinking about this, like, how a lot of um, non-black or white allies, when they would post about things or (laughs) that, like, in the beginning of the summer, I was like, wow, I'm so grateful that this conversation is happening, people are sharing things, Mm -hmm. but then the question is, like, are you actually checking on the people that, that... you know are black like I have I had so many friends that were like sharing things on their social media but never actually asking me how I am yeah but then like again the thing with social media a lot of times it ends up being a trend yeah but then like it just dies down yeah that's something we live with every day and like seeing that like the social media you know hype was gone yeah like now like no one's talking about this yeah as grateful as I was at that time I'm like how can you make this tangible and practical and actually do something yep. like beyond the screen? Yeah. And that's why we like, that's why at least in the work that I'm doing right now is trying to provide ways for allyship mm-hmm. because perform. Well, first of all, when it comes to like performative allyship and the people who are doing this for cloud, I just want to say like, let's work. <laughs> But yes, we can tell when it's it's not sincere. It, it is pretty obvious because I think it also does show up when we do have moments where you're expected to truly show up and you don't. Mm-hmm. And that's when it becomes very hurtful. Yeah. Um, 
additionally, just little things that like you might not think of. But like one thing that was going around this summer that really bothered me, there is this <laughs> post where it was like tag 10 people if you believe that black lives matter oh, gosh no. and i got tagged in that i think about four or five times and i got so uh, angry i literally had to make a post about it and be gosh, like one i am not posting this because you all know where i stand when it comes to black lives matter that's your life right and like, i'm like additionally Rachel. this quite literally does nothing Nothing. Like, you, okay, whatever, like, go ahead and say that you believe Black Lives Matter, but what does tagging 10 people, this is in the midst of all the George Floyd mm-hmm. stuff, Um, what does that actually do? Like, you could have at least been, like, tag 10 people in, you know. Reach out to them. Reach out to them or have them sign petitions yeah. or call congressmen or different things like that. Like, really? Yeah. Like, just tag 10 people if you believe Black Lives Matter. Bro, you know, you know, you know. darn well. <laughs> I uh, believe that Black Lives Matter, and that I really. And the fact that like they would send that to a black person, right? Like that's what's like right. Hmm. And that's when it's like, okay, this isn't a joke. This isn't just like a trend, like you said. This is like real. This is some of our realities. And some of us don't get to just be like, haha, I believe that Black Lives Matter. Yay, check off. Yeah. Like, no. Some of us, our lives literally can be in danger mm-hmm. in certain situations because of the color of our skin. Yeah. So please don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> don't do things yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds... I mean, we can talk about this all day. And we have we have talked about this all day, and we will never stop talking about it. We will never stop pressing on. Uh, but thank you for all the different perspectives that you bring, especially as an educator. And how I mean, whoever is listening to this, if you're in a classroom, think about that. Like if you're a professor, or even if you're just a student in a classroom. So. Thank you so much for all the... My pleasure. Yeah. Yes. To all my black people out there, I love you. You're valid. Feelings are valid. Mm -hmm. And you matter. To my non-black folks, y'all are pretty amazing. Keep pushing forward and stand with us. Yes. Thank Thank you. (laughs) Being a part of this conversation... I want to give a special shout out to Nick Wright for allowing me to use a little bit of his new music called Rise Up and it is incredible and I hope you guys go check him out. The song is on all platforms and you can also go find him on Instagram and there's a link provided for the song.